liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Oh boy, do I got a good one for you. Double-dipped episode. Dr. Chris Early Treatment Martinson, as well as Judge Andrew Napolitano. Obviously, with the, with the doctor, I go into the past two years in a very serious way as to what we've experienced and perhaps why. Uh, reforms that might be possible or necessary and ultimately what it tells us about where we're at and where we're headed. Uh, fantastic conversation you guys are going to love this one then as usual incredible segment with judge knapp we talk a little bit about uh what's happened with edward snowden with his citizenship in russia now as well as the uh the Nord Stream pipeline and what occurred there what evidence we have to make the assessment that we have and uh where where we're headed because of that it's a little dark i can lie it's a little dark but it's important so you gotta you gotta look the truth in the face wherever it leads you you know and try and keep some levity and joy while you do it at least that's what i'm doing and you guys give me joy because you tune in and we got like ten thousand people that listen to every episode now it's mind-blowing to me your support means the world if you want to continue with that support most important thing you can do is share the show obviously but you can also hit a like you can hit a comment and you can subscribe just to let me know hey i'm following you man like you're there. I know you're there. I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm checking you out. Um, that's a really helpful way to do it. And then last but not least, go to toplobster.com. Go to toplobster.com and pick up Liberty Lockdown shirt. This is a great design. Come on. It's a great design. You know it is. Be a walking billboard. I am one. It doesn't cost you much. Almost nothing. It's worth doing. Anyways, enjoy this episode. It is a banger. Welcome back to Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell, your humble host. As always, I am joined by one of the intellectual elites as I sit here like a schlub dressed how I do. This is Dr. Chris Martinson, an author, a doctor, and uh, one of the best advocates against, or for rather, early treatment and against the insanity that we have experienced over the past couple of years. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Clint, it's so good to be here with you and all your listeners today. Uh, you got Absolutely. a hurricane going on down there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is a first. Uh, reporting live from the eye of a hurricane, Clint Russell on the scene, um, uh, both literally and metaphorically, I guess uh, you could say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, there are only a handful of doctors that I have gained respect for over the past two years. You happen to be, be one of them. I have Dr. Ladapo on, uh, that's the Surgeon General of Florida, on Monday. So it's going to be... Uh, I'm I'm finding the few, the proud, the the truth tellers. Um, so let's start there. What the heck happened to your industry, man? <laughs> it uh, I, I would like to say COVID ruined it, but actually it just revealed the extent to which it had already you know been rotten from within. Uh, mm. It's it's the oldest story in the book. Um, incentives, you know, as as Charlie Munger says, you show me the incentive, I'll show you the outcome. It turns out that uh, a lot of people are willing to literally sell their souls harm other people, kill people, murder them uh, for a few pieces of silver. And a depressingly small, num you know, the, the, you'd think that would take millions of dollars. Nah, it really takes just a couple of paychecks. It's, it's astonishing. So 
that's what I've seen is the 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 re revelation of just how awful our system is. And this is comprehensive, right? You know, the Federal Reserve printed money to make billionaires billionaire and toss an entire generation of young people under a financial bus. Oh, sorry. Sorry about not starting a household. Who cares? You know, my <laughs> all that, right? This is the same thing, but but in, in the health space, right? Interesting. Yeah, we saw the same thing. And, and the tells were all over the place, right? So we saw that our country, the United States, had no interest in finding out how it was that India was having no trouble with this with this disease after a couple of waves. They'd figured it out. You know, you'd, you'd think that what they should have been doing was going out and finding out what works best and why, right? Instead, none of that happened. And, and we've seen it break into camps now that I think you can't talk about it scientifically anymore. We have got to, you got to drag in a psychologist and then say, well, how is it that ordinarily otherwise intelligent people could have lost the plot line this badly? So, um, you know, I know this is going to go up on YouTube. So there are pediatricians out there aggressively recommending that you do this to your infants. I don't even know what they're smoking, how they could possibly be that corrupt, venal, immoral. I don't understand it, but it, but it's happening, right? <clears throat> yeah, well, it, it is happening and it's happening. I'd say that's the predominant, you know, that's the majority position. And for the life of me, I can't wrap my head around how they can feel that the risk reward in that scenario in particular makes sense. I'm not even sure that the risk reward makes sense for, you know, anywhere up probably 40 to 60 years old, um, you know, north of that, perhaps the risk reward makes sense. And, and I think that's, that's probably scientifically correct at this point. Um, so, so how is it that, I mean, you said that it's financial motivations. How? Well, uh, it's very clear and direct. So I have uh, an inbox that's full of misery and, and woe. And so I get these missives from other doctors out there who say, I would love to be able to say what I really think, which is what you just said, that there is a risk reward ratio. It's not that sophisticated to understand. We run it in all other parts of our life, but somehow we've lost the plot line when it comes to this for this one condition, right? And so now uh, you will lose your license. You will lose your ability to earn a living if you mm. even if you are not vigorously enough detected to be in support of this if, if you even go neutral there there are medical boards out there that say they'll pull the board certification their state saying they're going to pull licensure we saw california just sign into law that if you spread misinformation as a doctor you're out right so that's right. A, it's a pretty stiff thing you know i, I went to duke medical school for a couple of years and then the other part of my training was to get my PhD in pathology. So like the investment you have to go through 12 years of intensive schooling, a little bit expensive, come out of all of that and be in this profession. And then somebody say, yeah, if you, if you say the wrong thing, we'll take all of that away from you. That's part one of, of how this happens. Part two is then you have the media completely bought off, completely under the thumb of all these people who are, you know, you've got your billionaires. Hey, I mean, sometimes they're really direct about it, right? Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post directly, you know? Right. So uh, the whole, edit, it's all ability to be like a neutral, anything other than like his personal rag just stopped at that point in time. But but that same thing is happening all across media. And so um, when he, that was part of it. And then the final part was what we're dancing around right here, which is this 
covert and overt censorship that happens on all of our main public square platforms. Mm -hmm. And so now they get to say, oh, you know, there's consensus among doctors that blah, 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 this should happen or that shouldn't happen. Well, you only get that consensus if you exclude all the people who have a different opinion, right? <laughs> exactly. 99% <laughs> of doctors that are willing to speak out agree. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so is the, is the medical board issue something new? Because from my vantage point, it has always been you know, the do no harm moniker was what most patients believe the doctoral profession lives by, the medical doctor profession in particular. Um, I don't understand really how we've gotten here uh, and, and how we've gotten here without there being uh, an outcry, uh, uh, an anger, because, mm. you know, as a patient, just speaking from the layman's side, I've always assumed, you know, the do no harm um oath it's kind of sacrosanct it's like uh, i was a money manager so i have a similar thing called a, a fiduciary responsibility where i had to look out for my investors over my own interest you know and and that seems to be a fairly straightforward and vitally important aspect of what i did and i think it's the same for for medical doctors what happened there you are holding the wrong opinion and you need to be disabused of it. Probably 20% of doctors actually care. They do a good job. They do their level best. They will be helpful. 80%? Wow. You, you, you stand just as strong a chance of being harmed as helped by them. So it's often said, for instance, just, let's just talk prescription meds for a moment. We know that last year about 100,000 people died in the United States from opioid overdoses, right? A lot of it's fentanyl, yeah. but a lot of that comes from Oxycontin and other so-called legal prescription opiates, right? So we have a system that uh, clearly dispenses death, right? And But I could run through dozens of things like that for you, all well-accepted prescription medications that your kindly, well-meaning doctor will write out and put in your body. But, but very typically, um, the saying is that when you're prescribed a medicine, you have to recover twice, first from the illness you had and second from the medicine itself, right? Mm. We have tons of medicines, I can show you that the risk reward, the, the cost benefit ratio is upside down, like really steeply upside down. So let me just take a simple class for you. Benzodiazepines, woof, handed out like candy, right? Mama's little helper, right? So that's your Xanaxes, your Ambien's, your Clonopins, on and on and on, right? There's a whole class of these things. So it, they were never tested ever within a, a, a structure for use for longer than a couple of months. After a couple of months, and I know people have been on these things years and years and years, if not decades, right? After a couple of months, what happens is your body adjusts to these things such that if you try and get off them quickly, you go into seizures and you'll die. Right? Yeah. Now, this, I mean, Jordan Peterson very famously had a, had a big, very strong, very bad um, battle with trying to get off of these things. He had to be put into a medically induced coma for nine days because he was experiencing these side effects. And these aren't because, you know, he was lacked willpower. People don't understand what a benzodiazepine does. You have two, there's your whole nervous system has to operate and it has two ways of controlling itself. It has a gas pedal, has a brake pedal. What the benzos do is they just put their foot on the brake pedal. It's just like having the brake on all the time. So your body, like after about four or five days is like, dude, I have to wake up, think, excrete, digest. I got things to do. So it begins making more gas pedals 
you keep throwing more of these benzos at it and they keep upping the dose. Next thing you know, you've got a body with like too many gas pedals and the brake pedal being pressed all the time and it's just wildly dysregulated. So if you take that all of a sudden, if you take the brake pedal off, all of a sudden it's like you're just in the driveway and the foot's down on the gas pedal. And what happens is your nerves overexcite and they die. So, wow. yeah. So you know how many millions and millions and millions of people are now functionally dependent not addicted psychologically. We use the wrong terms. They're functionally dependent on these things. And they were never tested to be used for more than a month or two. In fact, now it's very open black box labeling by the FDA. They're like, geez, maybe we shouldn't use these things for more than like a couple of weeks. In fact, I know doctors now who've cottoned on are like, only I'll use these acutely. Somebody comes in, their blood, heart's racing at 140 you know, beats per minute. Their pupils are dying. We'll give it to them for a day, but that's it. And mm -hmm. still- if you go in, I guarantee you, you can get prescribed these things in your friendly, kindly doctor in that 80% class I was talking about. They'll write that script and they won't know anything about this because hmm. they weren't curious. They didn't want to know. Their psychology says, gosh, now I have to admit to myself that I've been harming people for decades when I could have read about this. How long have we known about this? What I just told you. Decades, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's the system. And so medically induced deaths, iatrogenic deaths, they, they happen all the hundreds of thousands of people. It happens all the time. Now in COVID, this happened really big time and it was gross, it was disgusting. We saw people come in who otherwise were gonna be okay, especially if they got early treatments and they were put on ventilators and remdesivir and they mm. were killed. And they were killed for the princely sum of about 39 grand a pop. Um, and that's literally the system we're in. I wish yeah. I could sugarcoat that some way, but that's it. Well, I, and just to back up what you're saying, I, I have a relative of mine who was prescribed uh, benzos, uh, very high doses, and only for a limited amount of time um, in a psychiatric ward. And, and coming out, uh, their body shut down. It, it was one of the one of the wildest things I've seen in my life. Like he uh, could not could not stop moving. He had to keep walking. It was like a one of the one of the strangest things I've ever witnessed, and and highly concerning, uh, to put it mildly, and and I I felt similarly to how I felt, you know, watching the COVID hysteria and the the lack of, you know, reasoned assessment of risk, and I I, I grant you there is obviously financial interests that that have benefited from this kind of top down control of the medical profession, um, but I still I still am not understanding why there hasn't been an outcry. So you're saying that that 80% of doctors simply don't care. Is that is that as blunt as it can be? Sure, but let, let me say, let me soften that a bit because it's actually, uh, I'm not sure you or I would be different under the circumstance they're caught in. So doctors don't really doctor, you know, if, if you're lucky enough and you can start your own practice, you're in a really premier place and you have, you know, a lot of authority, that's different. But most of these doctors, and nurses are caught within healthcare systems now, right? Mm -hmm. And healthcare systems were bought by private equity firms and they've got a lot of sharpened pencils and spreadsheets and there's a lot of layers of management and they tell you what you can and what you can't do. Most doctors say, I'd really like to get a PET scan for my patient, but let me call the let me call the insurance company, you know? And then they right, talk right. to some flunky who may or may not have graduated high school, we don't know, but they're operating from the <laughs> insurance company manual and they say, oh, that's denied. You can't, you can't do that procedure. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which means we've allowed somehow our insurance companies to practice medicine. They are making the decision as to which mm. tests will and will not be run and which treatments will and will not be undertaken, right? 
So that's the system we're in. So great question. Why haven't we seen the outcry? Because, you know, somebody gets shot by the police, there's a chance you're going to see riots, you know? Sure. When's the last time you saw a million people show up to um, protest, you know, United Healthcare or Humana or Blue Cross or the fact that their CEOs take home upwards of 100 million bucks a year in some cases, right? You know, mm -hmm. where's that protest? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, th that's an interesting point because uh, anytime you have the the source of payment being disconnected from the consumer themselves, mm -hmm. you you don't have a real advocate for the person who's you know the, the the alleged consumer. At this point, the the real consumer is the insurance company themselves, so they they have a right to voice their opinion. Uh, but it's obviously totally disconnected from the the needs of their consumer, which is the patient themselves. And, and I feel like, you know, from an Austrian economics libertarian background, there's really only one way to solve that. And that is to get the payment source coming directly from the patient to the doctor. And because we're, we're so reliant on insurance because costs have gotten out of control over years, you know, decades and decades, um, how do, how do we remedy that? Because it, it seems kind of intractable to me. Well, exactly like you're saying, we have to get that all that disintermediation. We got to remediate it, right? We got to get it back together in one spot. And so, I mean, listen, I, I was in consulting for a while and um, I didn't do this part of, of organizational design consulting, but I hung out with people who did. And by the way, if I walked into a company and found out that there was a lot of dysfunction and they were spending 40% on overhead, I'd be like, I know where we're starting. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get that down to 10%, right? The United mm -hmm. States, 40% of every healthcare dollar doesn't even go to healthcare. It doesn't go to a doctor. Doesn't go, it goes straight to the, the private equity and it's, it's siphoned out, right? And it's, it's mm. you know, all the, all the overhead of trying to manage an overly complicated system. So, so, I mean, there's a lot of things we could do to fix it, but it has to start with this. We have to understand that we've been treated horribly by a system that would just, that puts a price tag on us an embarrassingly low price tag. And, um, and, and that's, we're just treating ourselves literally like the matrix, the movie, we're just in the, in our pods, you know, um, <laughs> how I look at it. And so we've got a really broken system. Uh, you know, we, we genuflect at the altar of money too much in this mm -hmm. country. And so when you let money make the decisions, you get really non life affirming outcomes. It happens over and over again, you know, um, so I think we have a real spiritual crisis in our country, a moral crisis, an ethical crisis. COVID had revealed that to a large extent. Yeah, it, it did. It allowed us to, as you say, we, we got to find out who the the intellectual giants and, and moral giants were and who the frauds and cowards were, right? So we got to figure that out. That's the good part. Um, yeah. You know, and if I can wave my magic policy wand, we, we take those awesome people who did display that courage and we just say, listen, you may never have run the CDC before, but here you go. <laughs> I'd right, seriously. Run, I'd let the truckers run the CDC. Like, you, trust me, they can't do worse. <laughs> They'll do a lot better. I, have I, could, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I've said the same. I, I've said we should just have janitors uh, replace all Congress people and the presidency. Like, we need, we need just everyday blue-collar people to take over some of these roles of, you know, both academia as well as the uh, intelligentsia. Um, and... and and to your point as to, well, there is, there is very few doctors that, that were willing to speak out. Obviously, I would love to see them 
receive the acclaim that they deserve and the positions of authority that they deserve. But as you have already described, because of the the media's, you know, basically complete uh, single-mindedness and propagandistic control over this particular topic, uh, you guys are not receiving any acclaim for it. In fact, you've probably received hate, if not death threats, for saying some of the things that you said. Um, is there a solution to that? Because, you know, I, obviously the, the the red-pilled community, the people that are have been free-thinking over the past two and a half years, um, we've come to appreciate you guys a lot, and and we certainly hold you in high acclaim. But from the 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 normie position, uh, most people look down upon you guys. I, I would imagine. Yeah, and, and it's uh it's it's a complicated thing. Uh, you know, I'm a big believer that we're in the midst of a mass psychosis, right? Where what happens is you have a lot of the normies. Um, they they just they just want to be in the center of the herd, right? And and if it's very easy to mislead that herd, and it's happened many times in history, right? We saw it in the Salem witch trials. It happened in Germany. It's happening now, right? And it's a really big deal. And so, uh, the, obviously, though, something has happened. I'm a big believer in this. I, I love technology, but sometimes technology outpaces your ability as a culture to manage it. So here's a simple example. I love GPS, right? I, I, I live in Massachusetts. I would never dream of trying to drive through Boston without it because apparently they, wherever the cows walked, they paved it and it's just a mess, right? Who can figure <laughs> it out? So GPS is great. That's the, uh, that's the fun side of technology. The downside is there were all these fishermen who would like sail out like six, eight hours to the George's bank, drop their nets, do some stuff, come home. And then they got GPS and then they could sail out and drop their nets six inches to the left of where they stopped last week. And they just ruined the fisheries because the the cultural practice of fishing hadn't caught up to the power of what GPS could offer. That's a simple example, right? It takes time to figure out. Just that simple technology, it deforms things. Social media is used as a means of elite manipulation and psychological control now that's astonishing in its power. And that power exceeds our capability to manage it so far as a culture. We don't have the institution. So it is being misused horribly and badly. And so a lot of these normies, I have compassion for them because they literally don't know how badly they've been played. They don't realize that their psychological wiring has been hijacked and hijacked professionally. We have nudge units, people who spent decades and billions of dollars trying to figure out how to get people to think this or do that. or And they know our wiring, they know our emotional centers, they know the pace, the frequency, the amplitude of the messaging. It's astonishing, but then they use it and they don't understand that when you do that, you've unleashed something that's going to be ridiculously hard to contain. So, <laughs> you know, voila, you know, you, you get back. So like right now, where's this going off the rails? They used all of this stuff to promote the Ukrainian war, right? I, I was just going to go there if you didn't. So I'm glad oh, you did. Yeah. Yeah. So they, so they do this and, and people, a lot of the normies mind, you know, immediately and very rapidly. And I'm impressed and horrified by how fast they went from COVID to COVID, 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 Ukraine. Right. And um, just took the jabs out, put the flags up and off we went that direction. If you're enjoying this interview with Dr. Chris Martinson, you're probably realizing that not just the medical community, but the insurance community moreover is pretty darn broken when it comes to purchasing a house or who you're going to marry, we take these these topics very seriously. We've put a lot of time, brain power into making those choices. At least I hope you are. 
If you're not, that's probably not a good idea. But right now you have an opportunity to apply that same logic, that same deep dive of education uh, because open enrollment is here. And that means now is the time to take charge of your healthcare decisions. So I wanna thank our sponsor for today's episode. And that, my dear friends, is CrowdHealth. Let's be honest, the insurance model is broken. CrowdHealth has a better way to fund your healthcare costs. You can see any doctor you want, no deductibles, exclusions, or copays, only pay the first $500 of any healthcare event. The CrowdHealth community takes care of the rest. No exclusive doctor networks, no huge premiums or high deductibles, and no surprises. It works in a very unique fashion. Basically, it puts the community back in community health care. You just pay one low monthly total to fund your account. Your monthly subscription helps fund health care costs of the entire crowd health community. And unlike insurance, there are no doctor networks. So you can see any doctor you want. Very important to take this opportunity because open enrollment is here. Now's the time. If you're paying like me over $500 a month for uh, health insurance, well, you can cut that tremendously. And if you use the code lockdown at joincrowdhealth.com, you can get up to half off for the first six months. Again, open enrollment is right now. And for a limited time, if you join, you can pay just $99 per month for your first six months when you use promo code lockdown at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com, promo code lockdown. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. The link to subscribe is down below in the description. Again, that's the code lockdown at joincrowdhealth.com. Let's get back in the show. They did this without having any cultural understanding of the role of energy and economics. And so Europe just all on its own took out a gun and shot itself in both feet and, and uh, just cut off its its energy supplies. And so now we're about, Clint, we're about to discover what happens when a complicated, complex economic landscape with multiple countries and 400 million people is starved for energy. And trust me, nobody's really thought this through because you can't. It, it, they just played with fire. And I think we're going to see a huge disaster over that, irrespective of anything that might happen with, you know, um, actual bullets and stuff flying. Oh, God, I, I could not agree more. And I'm so glad that you connected those dots. Um, you know, you you talked about your in Massachusetts, and I, I just went to uh, to Salem last, uh, I don't know, six months ago um, for, for Porkfest, or en route to Porkfest in New Hampshire. And uh, and driving through there, I I went on a, or I kind of listened in on a tour because I didn't pay for it, but <laughs> someone, someone was talking about how, I guess there was uh, either a mold or something in, in their wheat production or something that they, they blamed on the mass psychosis that occurred in that small uh, area, and that that's that's the kind of medical explanation as to why so many people lost their minds. Is there is it as simple as you know years of indoctrination, uh, the public schooling system failing us, as well as the media and social media apparatus uh, essentially indoctrinating us into kind of a, a group think type outlook? Is, is it is it that simple even though that i guess that's not that simple but is it is it just that um that's a great question you know listen if you've got some ergot mold in your wheat it, it could maybe trigger some hallucinations in one person but we have to back up and understand that this form of mass psychosis has happened over and over and over and over again it's not like this rare thing that happened accidentally because it was a bad mold it's a feature of the human mm. organism we don't understand why. So because it's a feature, 
one should very one should not lightly activate that feature. You know, one should be mm-hmm. a little bit more cautious about that. Um, and so, uh, my view is that there are people who've studied it, they understand it, and now they're using it very specifically. And so, um, wow. Matthias, Matthias Desmus talks about it. He said, "Yeah, there's four things, some things you need to have in place. Right, first, you have to have weak social bonds among different groups of people. Right." Social media is great at creating weak social bonds. You could have a 10,000 Facebook friends, but have basically zero social bonds as a consequence of that, right? right. The meaningful ones, face-to-face, you know, sure. people will be there for you on an unconditional basis. Like, that's not Facebook, right? Two, you need to have some kind of free-floating anxiety, right? COVID <laughs> was perfect. Like, there's this invisible thing. It'll kill you. Kills us all equally. It's like, mm, none of that was actually true, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and and climate change and carbon emissions, we have uh, a whole generation of people that believe that the whole world's going to die. Yeah, so those so those nebulous sort of existential threats uh, are great for capturing about 30, 40% of the minds. People are about just, are really prone to that, right? Yeah. And 10, 20% of people aren't prone to it at all. You know, we're the contrarians. You know, they're like, oh, look, you know, the tide receded suddenly. Let's go pick up fish. We're running for the hills, right? You need those mm-hmm. people, right? And the middle is is the people that you and I, I think are trying to reach because these are the people who are kind of waiting for which way is this thing going, you know? Um, and and all they need is somebody brave to stand up and say, no, this is this is dumb, right? And, and courage is contagious. Mm-hmm. So is fear. So there are people out there actively promoting the fear, the fear, the fear, the fear, and they're going to switch seamlessly from this fear to that fear to this fear to the fat that fear. If you gave me time, I'd go back twenty years and show you. Remember North Korea? Remember they were like murdering puppies and something? And then, oh, wait, it's Iran. Oh, my God. It's, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And while that's happening, there's a class of people who are busy harvesting like new contracts, new deals, more power, blah, blah, blah. Oldest story in the book. But now they have these tools to actually create these conditions by which a big chunk of the population falls into this mass psychosis. And when they do, it's really hard to get them back out of it. It's really, in fact, the more well-educated and intelligent they are, the harder it can be because these people have wrapped their identity around whatever this thing is. So Mm -hmm. prediction, 20 years from now, they're going to find some, just like, you know, remember those Japanese who came out of the jungles of Guam like 40 years after the World War II had ended? They'll find some family in Brooklyn, you know, with three masks on, wiping their food down like in 2035, right? It'll be sad, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. There's no doubt you're right. (laughs) It's just, but they've been captured. And for them to admit they got fooled like that would be psychologically devastating. So they don't, right? They'll defend that system of belief to the death, right? You know? Wow. Um, and, And so this is what's been unleashed. And the problem is I don't know how to get out of it, really. Um, I'm yeah. worried about where this goes. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that you and I are both in the process of that fight, you know, trying to speak to those that are still able to hear. <laughs> and unfortunately, it feels as if fewer and fewer people have been able to hear us. But uh, I think that obviously there there has been over the past year in particular, as we've seen that the the, I'll put it as broadly as I can, the remedies to COVID have not worked. <laughs> I'll put it very, very nicely. Um, and, and I think a lot of people have been forced to face, you know, what, what they supported that ultimately was a failure and, and overtly so. Mm. Um, and I think that my hope is that, you know, shows like mine or Joe Rogan or whoever else is out there that's, that's doing what I do, 
um, is able to reach these people and and kind of welcome them into the fold of those that were tricked and and it's okay, you know. Like I I, I you know, as as angry as I am with people for having gone along with what they went along with over the past two years, I'm most interested in coming together. Even though I know that it my my rhetoric, especially on Twitter, doesn't come across as such very often because I am angry. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time. I have infinite forgiveness for people that are that are willing to, you know, reassess their priors and start to to think for themselves and realize that they've been tricked. And you know, you said twenty or thirty years down the road, uh, we're going to have families that that come out of Brooklyn or wherever. Um, my my old home state of California, there's going to be tens of thousands of them, I'd imagine, that uh, come out twenty or thirty years from now and and <laughs> have been basically self isolating. I, I'm not so sure we have 20 or 30 years of this man just being blunt uh, I think that particularly this mass psychosis when it when it comes to this Ukrainian crisis um is is truly playing with fire. I mean what happened with COVID the 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 collective um you know survival instincts which ultimately were completely um utilized to to control us I think that we now have in a weird way, we have a mass psychosis where people are willing to sacrifice not just themselves, but the collective and not even knowingly so. Uh, but, you know, we're we're pouring. Well, we're in the middle of what I believe is the beginning of a either a great, re great recession part two or if not a great depression on a global basis. Um, we have people that are willing to funnel the last paper currency that we have that's able to purchase anything to Ukraine uh, billions and billions of dollars per week, it seems. Um, and, and we're just sacrificing ourselves at the altar of this, this belief in defense of democracy, of a democracy, which is an overtly corrupt regime. It's, it's all, it's all so maddening. And I just don't know that we can survive this. So I'm, I didn't expect us to, to get into the Ukraine Russia topic, but, um, and, and you've already said you don't really have a solution here, but I'm just curious if you have any, any problem solving side of you that says like, what do we do with this? Because I'm not so, I'm not sure we can survive it if we don't. Uh, have kind of a, a mass awakening very, very quickly. Look, optimism is important. Hope for the best. But I think it's time for people to begin planning for the worst, right? So the, the summary of my work, which is contained in this book, The Crash Course, which I'm updating um, now, it's a video series. It's, it's simply this. We're, we have these multiple unsustainable trends that are now converging and they're arriving right now, right? So obviously, you know, the United States, just look at debt, just economically. Like we're borrowing more and more and more and debt's always going up and up and up. Like what's the implicit assumption of debt? Well, it's going to get paid back. When? <laughs> In the future. So it's a claim on the future. Well, if, you're, if your debt is climbing at 9% a year, which ours has for 50 years, but your economy is only growing by 3.5%, you are compounding claims against the future. So the future has to be like just massively larger just to pay those back. I didn't even, I was just debt. I didn't touch liability, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. You add all that in one pile, the United States has right now well north of $220 trillion of claims on the future right. that people reasonably kind of hope they get paid back because, you know, <laughs> otherwise why make a loan, right? And, and so on that basis alone, we were doing something that just even back of the napkin with a crayon doesn't make sense, right? We all know that, right? Like, but later, it'll hit later, somebody will <laughs> think of something, which is akin to like, jumping out of an airplane with a parachute and not having a reserve and then you know your main one gets tangled and you're on your way down going somebody will think of something you know right it just doesn't yeah. pencil out 
you know? No, I, I I completely agree. I mean, it's it's crystal clear it doesn't pencil out, and and I'm I'm glad that you you're you know intelligent enough to know that it's not the 31 trillion in national debt that's the real issue. It's the the uh, the, the the other claims, the unpaid liabilities that we have when it comes to Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and everything else. And um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you know, it, and it's it's devastating because. I am an optimist at, at, at the end of the day. I wouldn't be doing this show. I wouldn't be talking about all this scary shit if, if it weren't for my my undying optimism. But uh, mm. I, I think that being a realist and realizing where we're at and and ultimately, you know, preparing for the worst, even if it doesn't come to pass, is is the only prudent, prudent outlook to hold. Anyways, Chris, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. I, I know my audience is going to greatly appreciate it. I have... Uh, Dr. Judge Andrew Napolitano, or sorry, Dr. Judge Andrew Napolitano on uh, in a couple hours. I'm going to I'm going to pair this episode with that. I'm going to be talking to him about the, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline and what appears to have happened with that. I think it's going to be a great addition to this conversation. I, I I really appreciate your time. Go ahead and tell people where they can follow you and, and where they can get your book if you if you have a website for it. Peakprosperity.com is the website. Uh, it's been in operation now 15 years. We have a huge community. In fact, this past weekend at my farm in Western Mass. That's where I'm at. You know, hope hope for the best, plan for the worst. I got a, a little mini farm here. So we had 350 people show up here from all over the world because that was our cap. Um, and uh, peakprosperity.com is how you find this. It's a community more. I mean, I, I, I flat my gums there, but really, honestly, we've got this incredible tribe of people, very smart doctors, lawyers, engineers, blah, 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 a lot of entrepreneurs who see the world the same way. And so I would invite anybody who wants to come because the relief is finding out you're not alone, you're not crazy, and finding your tribe. And if you don't do it at Peak Prosperity, wherever you do it, please find your tribe because uh, that's going to define your success uh, over the next few years in the future. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating uh, conundrum where the the you know the the individualist mindset, those that that are strong enough in their own belief systems that they could go against the herd for the past two and a half years. Yep. They still they still need their own tribe too, and that that's uh, I, I'm I'm so grateful for it's my. A, it's an incredible ahead. conundrum because because to have the mindset that you could have avoided all this means you're kind of a lone wolf, and so yes. it's funny watching the lone wolf try to get together with the other lone wolves. You know, so you have to practice <laughs> at it. We 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 need we need a little more time. <laughs> it, it is it is so like it is the the paradox of of my my lifetime. Um, but I, I'm because of my show and because of social media, you know, even though it has its downsides, I have found my tribe and I'm very grateful for it. Uh, and I'm, I'm adding you to it, doctor. So uh, thank yeah. you so much. Likewise. <laughs> uh, Dr. Chris Martinson, make sure you guys uh, follow and support his work. Uh, we need to we need a hell of a lot more people like him. So thank you, doctor. You're welcome. And thank you. I want to thank our other sponsor for today's show. And that is Expat Money Summit. They're an upcoming online summit. It's happening very soon. Do not miss it. Do not mess around. Get on this today. My friend, Mikkel Thorpe from expatmoney.com. He has over 30 experts who are focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. Cost you nothing. Expatmoneysummit.com. You can reclaim your freedom from chaos and uncertainty. Topics will include how to secure your own plan B safe haven. My goodness, do you need a plan B right now? You got to have one. You have to. Okay.
<laughs> no delaying on this. This also will teach you how to use foreign currencies, offshore banking, decentralized finance to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden, how and where to safely store gold, silver, and other precious metals, where the best countries are in the world to find freedom for yourself and your family. All of this, you could do the research yourself. You could, but it would take you probably years and way more time than anyone has right now. So this is your shortcut. Costs you nothing. Go to expatmoneysummit.com and sign up for, or actually just register now for free so that you can make sure you don't miss it. Just added to the docket, Dr. Ron Paul. I will be there. It's free. It's online. No excuses. Again, expatmoneysummit.com. We are back with Judge Knapp on a very special and now our normal scheduled Wednesday appearance. Thank you for joining us, Judge. Oh, pleasure, Clint. Absolutely. Uh, I am so thrilled that we get to do these every week because I always learn something. Uh, this week, I'd like to discuss with you a little bit about the, the Nord Stream pipeline sabotage. Uh, I'm just going to say what I believe it is, and if I'm proven wrong, so be it. But at this point, it, qu it appears quite evident to me um, that someone was involved with it. There, there was three separate leaks in the same pipeline, all within, I think, hours or minutes of each other. And uh, it's now uh, basically taken the entire pipeline offline. It is a, a pipeline which has been of much political contention because it essentially circumvents Ukraine's ability to uh, seek fees on transferring of oil and gas from Russia to Europe. And it, uh, it just goes around them. So what's your initial assessment as to what we've witnessed here? Well, I, I, I only know what's been published and what you can reason from that. And you can reason that this must have been a government actor with, you know, sophisticated submarine equipment. This is not like cutting a line to somebody's house. This is huge and it's at the bottom of the, uh, of the sea. Yeah. And it would, it would wear a submarine sophisticated explosive uh, expertise uh, in order to do it. And of course, like you, I've heard everything from it was the Russians to it was the Americans. <laughs> well, I, I, don't know that, I don't know that we'll ever know who it was unless somebody claims responsibility or unless some, some substantial piece of evidence is discovered. Well, let me give you some substantial uh, circumstantial evidence, but it is substantial nonetheless. First off, if Russia wanted to stop transmitting, uh, they could easily do so. They obviously control the input side of that pipeline and they could just right. shut it off. So it doesn't make right. any sense. Uh, it also is to their benefit to not have to pay those fees to Ukraine. So it doesn't make any sense that they would want to force themselves to have to transit their main export through a what is now a hostile country to them. Uh, so that doesn't make sense. And then on top of that, you have the Navy ship that was uh, an American Navy ship that was a few kilometers away uh, a few hours prior to this leak occurring, which had a Navy SEAL contingent aboard. So I, I'm i not saying, I'm just saying it looks as if this was uh, uh, American uh, interference. And I'm just curious if if we can, I don't know, theorize or spitball as to what benefit this provides do you my my initial assessment was that they were likely trying to uh drag the eu and, and nato moreover into 
further escalating the conflict against Russia. Uh, certainly the, the German people had been protesting the the lack of or the increase in pricing because of the lack of supply of oil, gas, energy generally um, just in the 48 hours leading up to this explosion. And the reason was that they wanted the pipeline to be uh, used and accepted in their country. So I don't know. I'm, I'm Obviously, we're working with a bunch of uh, secondary sources and a bunch of theorizing here, but what what would well, be the was, incentive? If it, was done, if it was done by the Navy or or American intelligence, I would think um, Joe Biden would have a lot to to answer to because it was an act of uh, sabotage. Uh, you're talking about cutting off a a lifeline uh, to Germany, which badly needs it. You're talking exactly. about a, a form of war, an act of war against an ally that uh, Tony Blinken and his globalist buddies are trying to talk into sending tanks to Ukraine. Not so sure that this is the way uh, to do it. Um, I'm also not so sure that if, if Joe Biden ordered it, that he could possibly explain it or justify it. If he didn't order it and it was the Americans and it went on without him knowing about it, well, then some heads, I would think, would roll. As to well, who authorized this, it's extremely dangerous, uh, extremely risky, uh, and as I said, is an act of war. It's, it's attack. It's a mil use of a military to attack private property in a in another country in order to affect their foreign policy. Yeah, and it, and it's the most vital type of you know economic warfare uh, because ultimately we're entering the winter and it's. Uh, not a, not a great time to have a shortage of oil and gas, particularly when uh, utility costs are up 10x in, in much of Europe and uh, Germany in particular is, is in dire straits. So this is just absolute insanity. But on record in January and February, you have both Joe Biden and Victoria Nuland, who is her name is all over the Ukraine crisis in the first place, uh, bragging overtly that, you know, if if Russia invades Ukraine, Nord Stream will be taken offline one way or the other. Both of them are yes. on record saying that. I mean, yes, it, they have. They have said that, and who knows, who knows what they meant—that they would harm an ally by preventing the Russians from selling a, a vital commodity to the ally at a at a critical time of year, and they call Putin a butcher. I mean, again, seriously. Who, who knows? Yeah. Uh, but if it was the Americans, there's there are some very, very serious uh, international legal uh, issues here that I don't know the president could justify or could explain. Yeah, it's it's incredible because they were so audacious as to you know warn about this overtly earlier this year. And then for it to happen, uh, I don't know. I don't know how they how they can you know now pivot and try and blame this on Russia, which as I've already explained, could easily shut be, off. It would be insane for Russia to have done this. All they have to do is throw some buttons in a control room somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so I wanted to to talk a little bit about the piece that you wrote today because it's tr tremendous, uh, titled "An American in Moscow," and I've been commenting on online about this as well. Uh, this is the the story uh, behind. Edward Snowden now becoming a a Russian citizen. He is still an American as well. Uh, obviously, a political pariah in this country, and and now you know relegated to uh, 
hiding perhaps for the rest of his life in Russia. Uh, you connect the dots beautifully between the Fourth Amendment violations, which Edward Snowden pointed out, as well as now uh, Trump's prior celebration of using the Espionage Act against Edward Snowden, and now what appears to me to be Fourth Amendment violations in terms of the Mar-a-Lago raid. So if you could just talk a little bit about it, I'd appreciate it. Well, Snowden, of course, uh, is the former CIA operative and NSA contract employee uh, who spilled the beans on the American intelligence community. And the essence of what he revealed is, even though the NSA, for whom he worked, and the FBI do use the FISA court to get uh, surveillance warrants, and even though the FISA court has purported to water down the Fourth Amendment standard from probable cause of crime to probable cause of talking to a person in a foreign country. So you call your cousin in uh, Toronto or your bookseller or art dealer in London, and you immediately qualify for a FISA warrant to allow the NSA or the FBI to surveil all of your calls, not just to your cousin and the bookseller, but all your phone calls, and all of their phone calls out to the sixth degree. So if you multiply that out, it's an exponential uh, number. That's the way FISA works. What uh, Snowden revealed is that when the NSA and the FBI use FISA, it's a subterfuge. It's to give the FISA court uh, and the legal and judicial community the false impression that they are only using FISA. Whereas in reality, the NSA uh, not the FBI, but the NSA has tapped into the mainframe computers of all of the um, internet provi service providers and all of the telecoms so that everything on your uh, mobile device and desktop, every keystroke, even what you think you've deleted, is captured by them. That's what Snowden revealed. Uh, he revealed it uh, with documentation in uh, Hong Kong to Glenn Greenwald and Laura Poitras and a few others in a hotel room in Hong Kong. As soon as they came into his room, he said, let me have your mobile phones. And they said, why? He said, I'm gonna put them in the refrigerator because as an NSA agent, he was aware of the fact that NSA surveillance cannot penetrate a typical refrigerator. And that if the cell phones were not in the refrigerator, then the NSA would know in short time that the five of them were in three or four feet of each other, and they were uh, in, in a hotel room. He then flew from Hong Kong to Moscow, intending uh, to go to Latin America. Uh, and even though he's innocent until proven guilty and hadn't even been charged with anything, the uh, feds, the State Department, invalidated his passport. So he was stuck in the Moscow airport. Uh, when approached by reporters and Asked what he thought. He said, well, I would rather be stateless than voiceless. And his voice, of course, resonated loud and long. He exposed uh, the most massive unconstitutional uh, criminal behavior by the federal government in post-Civil War America, which was the George W. Bush and Barack Obama administrations spying on every um, mobile and desktop device in the country. So all fiber optic data entering the U.S., leaving the U.S. or within the U.S. was captured by the NSA without a warrant. 
without a warrant based on probable cause of crime, you know, a typical Article Three warrant, or excuse me, Fourth Amendment warrant, which is signed by an Article Three federal judge or a state judge like I was, and without a FISA warrant, unconstitutional to the core, but at least consistent with the FISA statute. So totally without that, his uh, revelations, of course, uh, bedeviled and infuriated the intelligence community because this was the heart of their work to, uh, to capture uh, everything. He stayed in Russia, was granted permanent uh, asylum there, uh, and then on Monday became a Russian citizen, retaining his American citizenship. I, I don't know how this ends, but he is an American hero. You know, he took two oaths when he started to work for the CIA and the NSA. One oath was to keep secret whatever his bosses and other spies who were his superiors told him had to keep, he had to keep secret. The other was to the text and the ideals underlying the Constitution. Now, what do you do when two oaths clash? You comply with the higher of the two. There's no comparison here. He complied with the Constitution and revealed to the world uh, what two American uh, presidencies were doing. And this wasn't just a bunch of people in a cubicle. This was 60,000 employees, either direct employees, military or civilian. The NSA is in the military. Uh, or contract employees, em employees of a company that has a contract with the NSA, which is the category that Snowden was in. 60,000 people whose job it was to spy on Americans, nearly all of those 60,000 doing so uh, without a warrant of any sort whatsoever. Well, and consider uh, it's good that we know this. It's horrible what happened, but it's good that we know that this course. is what the country does. It didn't stop them from doing it. They're back to doing it. How did they get access to these mainframe computers? The Bush administration pushed through Congress two pieces of legislation which said to the internet and telecom service providers, uh, you'll be immunized from any liability for cooperating with us, but you, you'll have no discretion not to cooperate with us. So if you go to the AT&T building in San Francisco and get past security and get on the right floor and get past two more levels of security, you'll be on the NSA floor. And you'll see NSA agents that look like AT&T employees, but they work for the government. You'll see NSA agents directly accessing the mainframe uh, computers of AT&T. And the same thing will happen with, you know, T-Mobile and Verizon and Apple and Google and all the other uh, uh, providers uh, throughout the country. So that's what uh, Snowden risked his life and liberty uh, to tell us. And for that, he is an American hero, a genuine hero of historic proportions. I don't know how his life uh, story ends. I don't know if he'll ever come back here. I don't know if a president will pardon him. You know, Trump once said it was the Trump DOJ that indicted him for espionage. It's the very same sections of the Espionage Act that the Biden DOJ is contemplating indicting Trump for. Trump once said that Snowden and Assange should be executed for what they did. He, after four years in office, being tormented by the intelligence community, changed his mind and discussed pardoning them. They both have very serious defenses. Snowden's defense is the Fourth Amendment and even the First Amendment. Um, Assange's defense is the Pentagon Papers case, the Supreme Court opinion that says if the media 
comes upon stolen information that is of material interest to the public, the media can publish it with, uh, without any civil or criminal uh, liability. Right. In Snowden's uh, case, it was the mass of spying. In Assange's case, uh, it was the war crimes of the Bush administration and the cavalier laughter over the war crimes uh, of um, military officials over this. Yeah. I don't well, know where this goes. I mean, the reason this is newsworthy today, and nothing that I've told you is new, except that two days ago, President Putin himself signed a declaration de declaring uh, Snowden a Russian citizen. And of course, he insisted that he maintain his American citizenship at the same time, which he did, which he has. Well, just to double down on what a hero he is, consider, as you said, 60,000 employees doing something similar to what Edward Snowden was doing, and he was the only one that actually blew the whistle on what was happening. I mean, it, right. there, there are other whistleblowers who... Oh, there were. Uh, okay. Suffered, well, that's good. <laughs> suffered. They're not as well known uh, as Snowden, and their revelations were not as dramatic as his, but they basically after leaving the NSA, mm -hmm. have backed up everything Snowden said. I mean, the well, FBI went after them. One, one of them was prosecuted and acquitted. The, the others were just terrorized and never prosecuted. But they basically substantiated everything that Snowden said. There's no real question. The NSA has never even denied it. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the only question is, why do presidents uh, authorize it? Right. Presidents, um, Bush, Obama, Trump... And Biden take the position that the NSA is in the military and the president is the commander in chief. He can order the military to do anything. But, well, that, of course, is absurd. The military is subject to the Constitution just the way everything, everything else in the federal government is. But the four presidents have taken that position. As far as I know, Biden's never uh, discussed this. The other three have Bush, Obama, this is George W. Bush, Bush, Obama, and uh, Trump. Yeah. Well, I said uh, a couple days ago when I first heard the news about Snowden getting Russian citizenship, I said an American hero is now a Russian citizen because the U.S. government would rather prosecute whistleblowers than stop spying on the American people. Utterly Agreed. shameful. I mean, that's Agreed. that's what this is. It's it's a refusal it's to face their... Well, thank you. I, I, it's just that they, they refuse to stop spying on us and they would rather crucify people that are calling it out. And I, it just for the life of me, I don't know how we are ruled by people that are so uh, disconnected from the own set of rules that they're allegedly there to uphold. Well, look, and one argument is that we're ruled by criminals. This is this is computer hacking. That's basically what they're doing. Of course, it is classic computer hacking. It's not done by uh, you know some kid in his pajamas and in his parents trying to torment his girlfriend. It's done by the most sophisticated computer hackers around uh, with bottomless uh, pit uh, budgets. Um, why did this start? It started because 9-11 happened on George W. Bush's watch and his administration either looked the other way, which is more likely than not, or they uh, were asleep at the switch. And his response was invade Iraq, invade Afghanistan, spy on everybody in America. And he got away with it. Yep. Killed a million people, borrowed $2 trillion, which will never be repaid uh, in full, spied on America, and it still goes on. 
Well, on top of all that, he shredded the Constitution. Uh, what a great presidency. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is very much why I am not a Republican. Um, but anyways, uh, we face a lot of dark times, but uh, your voice amongst a few others give me hope. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Everybody go over and subscribe to Judging Freedom, of course, and go ahead and tell people where they can read that article. Well, they can read the article in tomorrow's Washington Times, tomorrow's LouRockwell.com, townhall.com, or Judge Knapp, uh, which is my uh, which is my website. It has all of my uh, articles there. Even my buddies at Newsmax, I didn't know this. I learned the other day they've been posting my, all of my articles going back to 2015. I don't even work there, even though the place is half Xbox people, but it's very nice of them. Uh, to post these articles, even articles with which they ideologically are, are not in sync. So uh, I'm happy to uh, I'm happy to hear that. But you have to take some credit yourself, my dear friend, for continuing uh, to spread the word that the government is not your friend, no matter who runs it. Oh yeah, no, I believe me. That's uh, if if that's my legacy, it, it'll be a proud one. <laughs> um, Indeed, I'm happy to, to play a small part in it. Indeed. Uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. Everybody, as I've always said, some of the best interviews around is some as, as well as some of the best commentary when it comes to the day-to-day -day political insanity that we're enduring. Go over to Judging Freedom and subscribe. The link is in the description below. And while you're down there, leave a comment, leave a like, and hit subscribe on my show. Thank you for joining us, Judge. All the best, Clint. Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, really enjoyed that one. I hope you guys did as well. As always, if you did support it, or if you did like it and you want to support it to support the work that I'm doing, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. I still plan on doing a, another AMA over there where you can actually come in on stream with me, ask me any questions you have as to the current economic environment, for instance. Uh, have an incredible episode with uh, Greg Foss, uh, who's a, uh, a bond trader for the past couple decades and just absolutely brilliant, as well as Guy Swan. I think that's going to happen on Friday. We're still scheduling, so... I'll keep you posted on that. And then Dr. Ladapo on Monday. That's a big one. That's a big one. He is the Surgeon General of Florida. DeSantis's Surgeon General. One of the few guys, one of the few doctors along with Dr. Chris Martinson has earned my respect over the past couple of years. Uh, they are rare. So I'm thrilled that I get to have him on and that'll be happening on Monday. Do not miss it. Again, libertylockdown.locals.com. We're out. <music>
must be air July Screaming in the mic, I rip a 59 Miles to race, show that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war, but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows, so don't get treated like a hoe